Life is a highway, and on it there will be many chicken sandwiches. But there's only one McCrispy, so go ahead and hit the turn signal if you know about this juicy gem of a detour. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Hi everyone, I'm Joanna. And I'm Jenny. And this is Hyphenated, the podcast about living in the hyphen. Uh, Jenny, today we're going to be talking about a contentious subject because I feel very differently about the subject than you do. Yeah, it's pretty, pretty wild. It's a wild, it's a wild subject. It's food. It's the concept of ingesting something for caloric value so that we continue living. But <laughs> <laughs> that's right. It's, it's, it's kind of wild that that's really what it is. I think about that sometimes and I'm not even high or anything. I'm just like, <laughs> you know, like, you know what I mean? It's just in your mouth for like a specific amount of time and you're enjoying the flavors and then it's gone. It's down your esophagus. But it is like, it's so crazy because when I was in LA and we didn't see each other, but the the minute amount of time we had where we thought that maybe we could see each other, I forgot you were vegan. And I was like, oh, do you want to like go to like a burger place? And you were like, no, there's this incredible vegan place on Sunset that we could go to. And I was like, why would she want to go to a vegan? Oh my God, she's vegan. Because I've never sat down and eaten a meal with you, Jenny. Do you no, realize that's part of like our reality? A travesty. I know. I've never sat down and watched you ingest <laughs> meals. But I've, I've heard you talk about your colon all the time. You t- I know so much about your colon and i never seen you eat. Uh, you know. <laughs> We gotta, ch- we gotta change that. We gotta change that, yo. We gotta change. We gotta change the area of the body I know more about. <laughs> Go more north. <laughs> so I adore food. For me, food is almost like a religious experience. I'm not religious, and for me, food is my sort of tradition and religion. Like I, I plan around. I plan my life around food. I see myself reflected in food. I love understanding cultures through food. I, When I travel somewhere, I make sure I eat in a place that reflects what that place is the most. Because for me, food is everything. I love everything about it. To the point where I literally did a food travel show for YouTube where I traveled Latin America and just ate food with another comedian who was also a foodie. And we just learned about culture through food. That's how much I fucking love it. I, I, Jenny, I plan my day around my dinner. I'm like, I wake up in the morning and I'm like, all right, what am I going to have today? Oh, I know what I'm going to do. I'm going to buy some cornichons. I'm going to get my sweet green, but that's not enough. I need like also maybe a side of Brussels sprouts. I need to balance it with something else. Like everything about a meal is 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 almost like a procession for me. I've literally eaten anything. <laughs> Anytime something's on the menu and they're like, you shouldn't order this. And I'm like, I will do it. Watch me. Like You I, are total reality TV material. Uh, absolutely. Absolutely. I will. I will eat a cockroach. Like, I'll do it. Like, if it's like an experience, I'll do it. Like, food is. And I don't know where it comes from. I think it's 
a lot of it has to do that you know I, I I grew up traveling a lot and my parents would never let me order from the kids menu ever they'd be like that is absolutely not allowed wow. you have to order something from the real menu and I suffered so much as a child that I think I um, overcompensated and just became a hyper adventurous eater to the point where like I can't have anything boring ever like a pasta I need to add a bunch of shit to it or have like a side dish I I, I need to feel and taste everything at the same time. But I think that, like, for me, food hasn't just been something I I do to survive and, and to enjoy. It's also just been something cultural and artistic. It's just part of how I enjoy identity, you know? And mm-hmm. I remember mm-hmm. when I went to Peru, it was, like, the most succinct experience for me of food representing identity. Because Peru was a country that just kind of like didn't really have an international identity for the longest time. There was a bunch of immigrants from many places spanning from Asia to Europe. Um, you had a lot of indigenous people that were in completely different parts of the country. Um, you had, I think it's like a country with like 400 types of potatoes. It, you know, it was, it was just oh, a yeah. place that just sort of didn't have a succinct identity. And then in 1994, the chef Gaston came along and was like, I'm going to do a TV show um, and I'm just going to show what Peruvian food is. And, you know, there's sort of where Peruvian food became what it is, which is Peruvian food, which is ironically Peruvian food is the most diverse food you can imagine. You have Chinese influence with arroz chaufa. You have Japanese influence with ceviche. You have yeah. uh, Italian influence with how they like, you know, deal with their fish. It's, it's, it's the, it's the most melting pot experience in terms of cuisine. And that became their identity. A country that lacked identity sought their identity through cuisine. And even during their economic crisis, their food changed and the history of the country is sort of reflected in their food. So even though I've loved food and I've enjoyed food, I I sort of in that moment when I went there, I sort of realized that food isn't just something I enjoy. It's also sort of a way of seeing the history of a place, you know? Yeah, that's actually really beautiful. Oh, my God. Thank you, Jenny. Yeah, I'm like really touched. (laughs) You know, this is kind of... um, not trying to sidetrack too much, but I'm glad that you are describing Peru's cuisine in this way because I remember when I first started Pero Like, mm-hmm. or this could have been right before, but we were already doing Latino content for BuzzFeed. And again, this is the kind of shit, you know, people in Hollywood have to deal with or in the entertainment industry as a whole when it comes to um, cultural sensitivity. There were a bunch of producers who were not Latino and they decided to make a Peruvian taste test and they were completely disrespectful. They cast, I think, all white people to try Peruvian cuisine and everyone was just so disrespectful across the board. Multiple comments about, is this llama? Oh, God. Am I eating llama? Dude. And no one told us, like, no one told the only, like, five Latinos at the company that this video was even being made. And it blew up. Peruvians were livid. It was just... Did it become, like, an issue in Peru? I don't... I just know Peruvians, whether they were in Peru or in the U.S., they just went ham um, in the comments section. And they were like, Peru has one of the top gastronomy 
It does. In the world. It's one of the most in the popular world. gastronomies of the world. And and here's a bunch of white people just insulting the cuisine and the ignorance. And so, again, I just, please, people, I had listeners. no idea that happened. And I think it's Yo. so crazy because there's so many Peruvian restaurants, which is like, it, you know, I always say that... Um, if you see a dictatorship in a Latin American country, that means 15 years down the road, you're going to see a bunch of amazing restaurants in the rest of the world because people had to leave and yep. they sort of incorporated their their food into this new country. And I remember I was walking, dude, I was in New Zealand once, okay? And I'm hmm. used to seeing Peruvian food everywhere. Like, because Peru, they went through a crazy economic crisis in the 80s. Like, they've, they've a lot of people have, they had Fujimori, they had like a, a, a an oppressive dictatorship. So, they, you know, they come from like a complex history and a lot of people, a lot of Peruvians have left over the years. So Peruvian food not only became a thing in Peru, it sort of exploded outside. Venezuelans, hmm. we never had that. We were always in our country. Our country was one of the was literally the wealthiest country in Latin America. No one was leaving. No one knew what an arepa or a tequeño was. But, you know, here we are. We're like 20 years down the road in like an awful dictatorship and we're, a, you know, repressed and, 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 and the economy is trash. So a lot of people have left. I was walking through New Zealand. Fucking New Zealand. Think of it. Think of the farthest place from Venezuela. I think it's literally New Zealand. I cannot think of a place farther <laughs> from Venezuela, both culturally and literally geographically than New Zealand. And I'm walking around and I see a sign that says arepas. And I was like, oh, no, this kid. What? And then I start listening and there it's a band I love called Rawayana and Rawayana and arepas in a corner restaurant in New Zealand. The heck? And I was just like. What? And I had seen Cuban restaurants in New Zealand. I had seen Peruvian. I had never. The, for Venezuelan, our cuisine isn't particularly known because our exodus is kind of recent. Mm -hmm. And it was a shock to me because then I realized that was kind of the moment it was synthesized for me that like, oh, we're the new cuisine that's sort of exploding yeah. outside of our own country. We've seen it in a lot of other countries. I mean, Mexican food is 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 almost like universal. Everyone knows a fucking taco. No one knows exactly. an arepa. Now an arepa is kind of a thing. But it's well, that's why they think we all eat tacos. That's what they think. That's all we eat. Yeah. <laughs> They're like, oh, you're spicy tacos and burritos. And I think a I'm lot like, of it has to do with like, the proximity too, right? Like, well, I mean, the majority of the Hispanic uh, and Latino population in the States is Mexican. Yeah, and exactly. so much of the U.S. was Mexico. And Tex-Mex is this sort of subset of Mexican food that isn't even mm -hmm. when I went to Mexico, I was like, oh, burritos aren't Mexican. They don't exist. Burritos don't exist in Mexico. This is an like American, American creation. Made. Yep. Not surprised. And it's like burrito is something that was it, it's a it's a mix of American and Mexican cultures sort of melding together with time and creating something that fast food called burrito. Mm hmm. But it isn't something originally for Mexico. You don't see burrito as like something on an item. And tu es taco. It's tu an es... animal. Yeah. yeah, yeah. A tiny donkey um, is what it is. Mi burrito sabanero. <laughs> mi burrito sabanero. Life is a highway, and on it there will be many chicken sandwiches. But there's only one McCrispy. So go ahead and hit the turn signal if you know about this juicy gem of a detour. 
Let go with ego. Existen dos tipos de personas en el mundo. Los que prefieren un desayuno dulce con frutas, dulce de leche y un jugo de naranja. Y los que prefieren un desayuno salado con chorizo, huevos rancheros y un café. Pero sin importar qué tipo de persona eres, hay algo que a todos les va a gustar. Los crujientes y esponjosos Ego Waffles. Ya sea que te guste un desayuno salado, con huevos o salsa picante encima de tus waffles, o seas más dulcero y los prefieras con mantequilla y miel. Encuéntranos en el pasillo de desayunos congelados. Lego with Ego. One of the stops in my um, travel show I did was Miami, which I never expected. To be honest mm. with you, I was like... a a gastronomical trip through Latin America. We're going to pass by Miami. Well, because they're all melded together in that one city. Well, which was astounding to me, not only seeing Venezuelan food being mixed with American food, like buffalo chicken tequeños and like cheeseburger empanadas, but it was also just even seeing like the influence of Calle Ocho, how Cuban food sort of became synonymous with Miami. Like your people were like, mm -hmm. yo, What's up? Here's some they food. They took over that. They took over, yo. <laughs> Pero anyway, yeah. So that's my little sound effect when I introduce people to Miami. It's like pitbull, dale, Um. Oh my god, we're in Miami. <laughs> yeah, we're just. I just brought everyone in. I just feel the the heat. Um. But it's what's interesting though is claro. I've had a lot of people here and there be like, well, you know, this food isn't in Cuba. Oh, really? Mm -hmm. Wait, wait, what's like, so there's food in Miami that's like, quote unquote, Cuban food, but it's like, esto no cubano. It's almost like a Cuban American cuisine hmm. versus Cuban cuisine. So a lot of, there's certain Cubans that have reached out to me in the past. Not a lot, but it's happened where they, you know, tell me, hey, you know, this is technically a Cuban American cuisine. Interesting. Yeah, it is very interesting. That's actually crazy, which is like, You know, every time, and we've talked about this a lot, which is people are very precious with their culture, right? Very precious with yes. their words. And food is part of that, right? Um, people are precious with their food. They see a food slightly off from its traditional representation. And they're like, me está jodiendo el, el pan de jamón. And it's like, can we fucking chill? And I know, I know. And it like, gets real ugly. Like, tacos al pastor, right? You know, tacos al pastor is like the thing that you always see in every Mexican restaurant. And everyone's always like, oh, yes. like tacos al pastor, the most Mexican type of taco. Dude, tacos al pastor were created by Lebanese immigrants in Mexico. They Wow. The taco is, of course, a Mexican dish. A bunch of Lebanese, uh, in, you know, including my my great grandfather, left to Latin America, um, and a lot of Lebanese people arrived in Mexico, and they created a shawarma taco, which is the al pastor taco. And I'm sure that when it was created, people were like, um, "No, no mames, güey, esto no es un taco. Esto es un taco raro. Tiene shawarma. Esto no es un taco." And I'm like, now it is one of the most popular tacos internationally because you just mix a bunch of shit into a beautiful little blanket and you just and it's gorgeous and i think that like besitos 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 to the, taco, the, <laughs> besitos to the taco you know <laughs> i just love that story because i thought like taco al pastor were just like purely mexican and like it is kind of purely it is purely mexican it was created on mexican soil but it it incorporated the influence of immigrants and i think that food is one of the clearest ways where we see culture mix and mash together to create something spectacular, which is food. But Jenny, you have a different 
relationship with food. I eat crickets. You are like you you have Crohn's disease. I mean, your relationship with food is is just different. It's it's been different, yo. It's been different since before Crohn's. I've I yo, we've had such different lives in relation to food because you know how your parents were like, no, eat from the order from the adult menu? Yeah. I I will say I lived the 90s kid dream in terms of cuisine or what my abuela would call chucheria. Oh, God. Because, again, my sister and I have a very fast metabolism and my mom always struggled with her weight with for opposite reasons. And so I think the psychology here was like, bueno, my daughters were blessed with a fast metabolism. They can eat whatever they want. Mm-hmm. Never mind what other diseases could possibly come from eating all this crap. So I ate all the sugary, crappy kids' cereals, all the microwavable, like, qu- kids' cuisines, Dunkaroos, fruit by the foot, fucking Sour Patch Kids. <laughs> like you, you, you ate the most chemically created in a yes. lab food a human's ever ingested in Which history. Which is probably why I got Crohn's, not going to lie. <laughs> um, I'm not surprised at this point que tengo tanto, um, let me rephrase that. I'm not surprised that I have all these stomach issues because I started with my stomach issues very young. I was like 19. Actually, no, 12. Oh, Jesus. 12 years old was the first time I remember ever complaining about having a stomach ache and getting diagnosed with like gastritis and shit. So, again, I ate a bunch of crap, all kinds of fucking donuts, potato chips, whatever. But then, obviously, because I was always in my abuela and abuelo's house, I did eat a lot of the stuff my abuela would prepare. Mm-hmm. And <laughs> I don't know if they say this in Venezuela, but like Cubans call it like comida de puta. Oh my God, Jenny. What the fuck? No, we don't <gasps> say food for horse. <laughs> what the fuck is that? What is food for horse? Comida de puta <laughs> is like poor people food. That's just like a saying for like you're poor and this is what you eat I mean, and a it, lot of I mean, it was I like I mean I love that they were like comida de pobre is like it's offensive so let's make it a little less offensive but it's still equally offensive it's comida de puta mira, you can you could even google it and it's like <laughs> comida de puta here you go I literally just googled it and I saw exactly what I ate as a kid arroz con huevo frito y plátano maduro comida Wait. de puta bro oh I'm my god joking. comida de puta is literally what I eat four times a week does that make yep. me a puta? I welcome it. It's fine. Man, you're eating for the whores. <laughs> so you're eating whore food. Um, oh, my God. It's delicious. Yeah. I Egg, rice, and plantain. That's my... Literally, I survived off of harina, which is like a cornmeal mm-hmm. type situation. And sometimes there would be an egg on that, too. Mm-hmm. Again, arroz con huevo frito, lots of plantains in various ways and shapes mm-hmm. and sizes. A lot of starch. And a lot of starch. A lot of culture. starch, yeah. like yuca también. Mm-hmm. And then frijoles negro. I, I was a very, very picky eater as a kid, so I didn't even want to touch other types of beans. It was just frijoles negro with my rice and my fucking... And, and, and my abuela would always make me like either bite or like chicken. There always had to be protein there. Mm-hmm. God forbid there wasn't. I hated fish. Could not stand seafood. I would get nauseous at the smell. My parents love sea. My parents are adventurous eaters. Like they've traveled way more than I have. Uh, they've eaten a bunch of stuff. Rabbit, goat, you name it. 
I just kind of stuck to like the basics, like pork and turkey and chicken and, you know, sometimes beef. But everything easily grossed me out. Mm -hmm. If the beef wasn't like super well done, like charred, I could not eat it. If it tasted at all like an animal, any sight of redness, I would panic. I would think I was going to get food poisoning. I would hide my food sometimes because I would get full very quickly. And if my, if I didn't clean my goddamn plate, my abuela would have, as Cubans say, un patatus, which means heart attack. And I didn't want my grandma to have a patatus. So I was like, fuck, man. I gotta and chug so I would this hide. Shit down. Sometimes I would just... Yeah, I would just give it to the dog. My dog, Campion, who lived outside. Oh, my God. Poor Campion, living outside, eating... Poor Camp... Well, eating he, ate, like he, ate, he ate like a king, let me tell you that. Secondary pero, you know. comida de puta. Secondhand bueno, comida de puta <laughs> for Campion. Pero ese, pero ese perro lived to, like, 16, somehow, surviving off of leftover comida de puta, <laughs> courtesy of, of all of us. Pero, like, dude, I couldn't... And I was always... What's funny is that it, until I moved to LA, I didn't know what a lot of things were. I I never had a lot of vegetables as a kid. Mm -hmm. And so now I know why I was always constipated. I thought taking a shit every three to four days was normal. Oh my God, Jenny, what the actual fuck? Oh my God. <laughs> I took a shit every three days, bro. I know so much about your shit patterns, historic shit patterns. Everyone does. It's great. I have, I feel very liberated. Life is a highway, and on it there will be many chicken sandwiches. But there's only one crispy. so go ahead and hit the turn signal if you know about this juicy gem of a detour. Let go with Ego. Existen dos tipos de personas en el mundo. Los que prefieren un desayuno dulce con frutas, dulce de leche y un jugo de naranja. Y los que prefieren un desayuno salado con chorizo, huevos rancheros y un café. Pero sin importar qué tipo de persona eres, hay algo que a todos les va a gustar. Los crujientes y esponjosos Ego Waffles. Ya sea que te guste un desayuno salado, con huevos o salsa picante encima de tus waffles, o seas más dulcero y los prefieras con mantequilla y miel. Encuéntranos en el pasillo de desayunos congelados. Lego with Ego. Did you feel like, oh fuck, like, I'm, it's like coming out? It's like, I'm going to come out to my Latin American family as vegan? <laughs> uh, my family didn't really give a shit. Um... But again, I think the only person who would have who would have really had an issue was my abuela, mm -hmm. but she passed before I became vegan. So she didn't get to at least she didn't have to suffer through that <laughs> reality. She died before um, it. She, di she died. She died before the great vegan transition. <laughs> um my mom and my dad were like they just want me to live and not suffer with my Crohn's. So they were totally for whatever I had to do to feel better. When I got diagnosed, I, I did, I immediately went into like hardcore research mode and I first became paleo. Hmm. And then I tried the specific carbohydrate diet, but they both still involve meat and cheese and stuff like that. So It wasn't until I had a real like rude awakening with my health that I was like, I found this documentary called Forks Over Knives. And it's one of those documentaries that it doesn't really focus. It, it's not one of those really intense documentaries that shows animals and suffering. No, it's just very, very much about the medical basics mm. 
of going plant-based. And it honestly changed my life. I would never go back. Like if tomorrow I somehow was cured of Crohn's, I don't, I would never go back. I really do love this lifestyle. And I just think it worked out for me because I've always been like a really empathetic animal lover. Like, again, I saved a black widow spider last summer. I, I love all animals. And I always felt for myself personally, like a hypocrite. I'm like, Jenny, you just saved a cockroach, but you're eating a hamburger. And, and again, meat always disgusted me. Dairy didn't sit well with me. And so I was like, I just, the only reason why prior to my diagnosis, I never went vegan or vegetarian is because I was not knowledgeable enough. I used to think like every other Latino, like I'm going to die if I go vegan or la proteína. So I was like, yo, I'm already like a hundred pounds. I'm going to fucking disappear if I go vegan. That was my biggest fear. And then when I really went into it, I learned a lot. I have a plant-based gastroenterologist who's an activist on Instagram. She's very knowledgeable. I'm just surrounded by a lot of good, you know, um, and, and living in LA. It's, it's easy. Every, every place has like a vegan option. It's like a vegan yes. steak. It looks like a steak. And it smells like steak. gluten free because I found out that I'm also gluten intolerant. So there are more options out here. People are less judgmental. Um, but at the same time, I'm not one of those vegans who's like judging those who eat meat. You're that not like not a Scientologist place. vegan no, that's like trying because to. I, I do believe everybody's body is different. I believe there's not a one size fits all solution to handling disease, especially inflammatory diseases. Uh, I, I always suggest that people do look at their diets because I think what you're putting your body is very important, especially when it comes to, again, inflammatory diseases, especially regarding the stomach and tambien for like high blood pressure, heart disease, diabetes. Um, I just always tell people nutrition is of the utmost importance. Don't just take medication because that's just a Band-Aid. I do take medication. So I'm not one of those hippies tampoco that's like, just <laughs> eat fruit and bananas and you'll beat whatever it is that you've got. I'm not like that tampoco. I'm very much about conventional medicine meets, you know, nutrition and Chinese medicine and all that, like a combo of all of it, you know? You know, I I was sort of like a short-term vegetarian and um, wanted to be a vet. And then one time I went to my uncle's ranch and he was branding his new uh, toros, his new bulls. They were small bulls. Mm. And I felt so bad for the bulls. And by the way, I didn't eat any meat that that trip because I could see the goats. I could see the sheep. I could see all these. Like, I couldn't. I couldn't do it. Um, and then he branded the bull and he, the bull was g going crazy. And I was like, oh, and this is my 11-year-old brain. I'm like, oh, I know what this bull needs, a caress on the face. And I went and I approached this bull hoping to calm it down. And obviously, it's a bull that just got branded. And this Dude. motherfucker, God bless, I'm sorry, no offense, but this motherfucker... Me revolcó. Like, I got attacked <gasps> by this bull. Joanna. I, uh, uh, like, aggressively attacked to the point where if my uncle hadn't had, like, wrangled him, it, I was going to die because my head was going towards the, the legs. It was like a 10-minute a ordeal. It was terrible. Oh, my God. After that day, I went back to being a meat eater, and I never looked back, and I never wanted to be a vegetarian. 
it just it just complete I wonder if that hadn't happened where I would be right now maybe I'd be vegan like drinking an acai bowl out of a straw I don't know but like that day changed my life I was like Give me that fucking meat. I'm going to chew it. It was bizarre oh, how aggressive oh my God, I got. You're like revenge eating meat. I was oh revenge eating meat. I was so mad. Bull. It's Can so not like being the bull. Obviously, as an adult, I'm like, yeah, this this poor bull like did what he could. Oh but as a child, I was like, he he didn't see I was a kind human. Like I was an idiot. I was 11. I don't know. My frontal lobe wasn't. Fully. I mean, yeah, you're 11. Yeah. Um, But it broke my heart. And like that was the day I flip-flopped and and fully went back to eating me because i was like questioning it (laughs) and also didn't want to be a vet um i think the perfect conclusion of this episode is that i'm going to go to la in in september and i think we need to document the first meal we have together and i want you to take me to a vegan place and i want you to take me on this journey with you and um I'm very experimental. I will literally try anything. You will choose my meal okay. for me. And that's going to oh. be our our next like friendship in person thing we do. Why don't we just hit up a bunch of places and I'll I'll eat maybe one place. I'll I'll choose one place and then okay. you cho- choose the other place. And I'll we'll f- I'll figure out a place that has vegan options for you, but I'll take you on a journey and you take me on a journey and you know, it'll be us sort of attempting to understand each other's perspective and I'll bring a bowl just to make, you know, just to, you know, make it interesting. See how it feels. Bring a bowl. I, well, they don't really allow emotional support animals in a vegan place. A interesting. Weird. Okay. Well, on a flight, you're going to, oh, you right. know, I'll, I'll get a local bowl. This like, bit has lasted so long. <laughs> My emotional support bowl. (laughs) (laughs) But listeners, tell us, are you more of a Joanna or a Jenny when it comes to you looking at the venue? Tell us on social media in the comments section or send us an email at hyphenated at pitaya.fm. Life is a highway. And on it, there will be many chicken sandwiches. But there's only one crispy. So go ahead and hit the turn signal if you know about this juicy gem of a detour. Let go with Ego. Existen dos tipos de personas en el mundo. Los que prefieren un desayuno dulce con frutas, dulce de leche y un jugo de naranja. Y los que prefieren un desayuno salado con chorizo, huevos rancheros y un café. Pero sin importar qué tipo de persona eres, hay algo que a todos les va a gustar. Los crujientes y esponjosos Ego Waffles. Ya sea que te guste un desayuno salado, con huevos o salsa picante encima de tus waffles, o seas más dulcero y los prefieras con mantequilla y miel. Encuéntranos en el pasillo de desayunos congelados. Lego with Ego.